0: Like I think it's uh, three hundred square miles is what uh, uh, Uruguay is, and there's a, uh, a nine, yeah, three million population, and there's over nine point eight heads of cattle. So it's like three to one uh, human to cattle. So there's way more cattle than there are humans, right? But we eat our red meat, so that's how we've gotten so big, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess like, coming to America was kind of a story, right? My mom and my my dad were uh, big pushers. My my dad got in trouble a lot in uh, in Uruguay. Um, he actually was like chased out of Uruguay essentially because of some things that he did that were very illegal. Um, he had gotten actually involved with some um, um, uh, people that uh, stole paintings uh, from France, um, and at the time, uh, like what was like a, a uh, Interpol, which was like a worldwide type of like organization like the cia yeah. uh were after these individuals and my dad had done some things that um were maybe not the best something happened with the murder in brazil that didn't go well so on and so forth uh, uh somehow he he says he wasn't involved in it, with it at all right but they somehow got him involved and he then had to come here to the u.s and my mom loving my dad followed him here which is like um I got to meet my dad for the first time after 10 or 16 years uh, about four years ago. And I started doing this thing where I would record conversations with people. So I put the record on, the voice memo, and I record their story. So I just sat with my dad and drank and then uh, talked to him for five and a half hours of the recording. And he told me his entire life story. And I I don't know how much of it is like uh, a farce, right? And like uh, blown up, almost like big fish, like telling a story and how much of it is real, right? But he seems like he... For whatever it is, it's a story that is told, right? So that is what it is. So, yeah, yeah he uh, ended up coming here to the States, and my mom, uh, left him with my grandma for the first five to seven years of my life. And my mom, uh, the fighter that she is, got here to the United States, worked three jobs, South Central, Los Angeles, uh, the concrete jungle, as they say, right? Um, back then in the 90s, it was very hairy, very um, hairy. And she worked three jobs, collected cans to make enough money to get us over the border. And at that time, if you ran with the coyotes and you had to get from Los Coyotes, as they were, right, to get over the border, it was $10,000 a head. Wow. So my mom got myself, my uncle, and my grandma over. Um, so that alone was 30000 And the way the story goes is my mom uh, had to get to Guatemala, right, from Guatemala, hopped the first border, uh, river there, and then uh, took that river, or took uh, all the way through Mexico. Interesting about thing about Mexico is if you get caught, deportation is not like the U.S. You actually get put in jail for six months automatically. And then you get deported if you're like if you're anything left, right, because it's a Mexican jail. So you think America's bad, like a Mexican jail. It's like, <laughs> here's rice and beans if you're lucky. Uh, so, yeah, the... Uh, She got up halfway through Mexico, and uh, my dad, being the gentleman that he is, lost a portion of the money in a bad gambling bet. Um, So my mom ended up having to work X amount of time down there at parties and stuff to make money just to get the last portion of it to be able to pay us to get uh, across the border. And uh, yeah, very interesting experience, right? My mom and my dad both explain it. that going across the border, there was uh, you get there's an open gate. You go through the fence hole. You go to a doghouse. Once you enter the doghouse, about 20 to 50 yards from the gate, you stay in the doghouse. A van comes, picks you up. You jump in the van, and they take you to what's called a holding house. And this holding house has like seven to ten bedrooms in it, and the bedrooms are compartmentalized by uh, which part of South America you come from. So if you're like Central American, if you're uh, Chilean or Argentinian, Uruguayan. Peruvian, They kind of separate you. And then what they do is uh, they take you to uh, different parts of California and drop you off. But they literally just drop you off, right? Like cold dead ass. Um, and they the coyotes, like they'll take your money at the beginning. And then once you get to the gate or at the house... They'll say, now to get out of the house, it's X amount of money. So it's almost like a mini jail. So what they do is, uh, my, since my mom had already done it once, she stashed her money because she already knew, right? Um, but the first time, they strip you clean. Like, they'll ask you, hey, where's your money? And they'll go through your socks, your everything. Most people try to hide them in the socks thinking they'll get away with it. They pull it out of the socks and then throw you out on the street. So you get to America, not only a place you don't know, new culture, new people, a new community, new everything, no connections, but you land here with zero dollars in your pocket, and it's a, yeah, my mom was an absolute fighter, and my uncle, and my grandma, and yeah, they, they've done a lot for me to be here, yeah, so I'm very appreciative for them.
1: I love it, when'd you come to San Diego, because that's where we met, right, you live downtown, I live downtown, you live in a sweet penthouse, I do not live in a sweet penthouse, (laughs) yeah, um, you, yeah, well brought you? could. At? You could. I think you, did yeah, do it. you yeah, live yeah. in a
0: sweet location. I think you, you give it for the amenities. This place has a beautiful amenity situation. They yep. bring your dry cleaning to you, your car. By the way, the guy downstairs said your dry cleaning will be up, and then they would detail your car later tonight. So, <laughs> so that alone is Thanks, like... Matata. Yeah. <laughs> That's a shout out to you. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, I uh, came to San Diego uh, October of last year. Or the year prior so I've been here for maybe a year and eight months about um, prior to that I had a short stint here then um, that's when I lost like 85 percent of the revenue to my company and had to drive how uh, to go back to LA um, that was that's a hairy story we can get into because that's a yeah, that's a, that's a time where I almost ended my life, right? So that
1: was like a So heavy. that is immediately what we're going to start with. We're switching oh, it up yeah. today. I, oh, if that's okay with you. And yeah, I know I'm we sure. talked before this that like yeah, yeah, you no, and me I'll have flow, deep flow, conversations. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I wanted to make sure oh, we I love come on. Brain. And yeah. I am excited because I added a new category that's going to take our conversation to a crazy place. <laughs> okay. And I give, I'm about, I'll I'm i about give you three options that I know you and me <laughs> love to, to break down. And we'll bring that up here in a little bit towards the, uh, a little here in a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> reef if you were about to go down that road what's been your lowest point in life like the absolute lowest right oh. and how'd you break through
0: um that's interesting because i could uh, i could break it down into two categories right one is internal battle right and the other one would be more of a uh of a uh, higher level battle, right? So two different uh, juxtapositions in like world, right? And where I come from to where I am now, right? Um, One would be uh, when I was younger, I got a DUI um, at uh, March 27, 2007, right? Um, I was pulled over, I had done a a bunch of drugs. Um, I had drank a handle um, of vodka, half a handle of vodka, decided to get in the car. Uh, had done some cocaine uh, to sober up. I would smoked a bunch, a copious amount of weed on at uh, the bonfire, right? I would finished surfing, um, jumped in my truck, and decided to uh, do some coke to drive. Um, and there was a checkpoint. I tried to do a U-turn, and in that U-turn, I got pulled off to the side. Um, I got out of the car. The uh, the officers made me do a sobriety test. I I failed it fucking heroically, right? I was like, I was three sheets to the, how whatever, what have you, right? The the, the thing went the way it went and I even, I still remember with the officer was saying, like, uh, you didn't pass, like, let's do it again, let's run it again, you know, and he's just like, no, and I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it again, you know, like, can we get another shot at this? He's like, no, bud. Um, they were cool, they didn't impound my car, which was nice, uh, or my truck, and they left it there. Um, and, uh, yeah, shortly after that, I got taken to where the checkpoint was at, and um, the officers would, uh, wanted me to sign a piece of paper to accept fault, and um, I wouldn't, and they uh, uh, treated me pretty heavily. Like, the three officers came in. One grabbed my hand. The other one, I grabbed the pen. I was like, nope, drop the pen. There's like, we can do this with a fingerprint. We do it the easy way or the hard way. Very cliche cop thing to say, right? Yep. Uh, but I love officers. I, I love all humanity. It's a very hard job, right? Like, I can't imagine... Seeing that level of humanity, I don't feel like an officer ever gets a call like, "Hey, come see my neighbor. They're being really nice." You know, they usually get the shit under the stick with every yep. scenario, right? Um, so yeah, I took that uh, moment to uh, not give my thumbprint. I I stowed away my thumb, and there ensued a situation that uh, got me down to a wet reckless, but also got me into some trouble, right? Um, The officers uh, said I was resisting, and one picked me up. The other one came in, and it took three officers to bring me down to the ground, right? And uh, by the third officer, he put a knee right into my back, and they were cranking my wrist. And when they cranked my wrist, they pulled my thumb out and finally I was like, I've had my thumb out. <laughs> and the officer goes, okay. And like uh, puts the stamp on it, or the ink. And then when the paper comes up, I shove it back into my hand. And then again, like a knee to the back. And that's when I uh I released my thumb. I was like, okay, 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 okay. And they um they uh they printed. And uh luckily for that situation, what ended up happening was I uh, I was I could have blown God knows what the number was I, I refused to blow right I said I want to do a DNA test they kind of knew the process so they took me to the uh, before taking me to the police station um, they had to take me to the hospital because that's where they do the DNA test right uh, and when I went um, they had me inside the or I said that I had my wrist I thought it was broken so I wanted to go to the hospital so I ended up in the hospital the emergency room and they were treating me for the wrist um, uh, bef- between the doctor coming the nurse was like hey it's fine. I was like, okay. And when the, uh, they left the room, I went right over to the sink, handcuffed, and I just started pounding water. Because it's the foot thing, right? So you press the foot down to the water. God, 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 God. I drank a bunch of water, like guzzled water. And uh, the officer comes across the door and sees me. And he's like, hey, screams. I just like I'm looking at him like this, like, and uh, drinking water, and he slams me against the wall, but, like, un- in a, unappro- inappropriately, like, like in- incredibly hard, right? Like, just, like, block, and I dropped down to the ground, um, and they put me back on the table, and now he's, like, now he handcuffs me to the table. Well, come all set and all, like, I ended up uh, with the DNA test or uh, with the blood test being a .09, which is, like, uh, .08, like, above that is, like, DUI, Right? but for how much I had drank, should have been far beyond that. So like I just, I drew out the whole process like four and a half hours, plus I drank a bunch of water. So like I ended up getting a wet, rest, wet reckless instead of a DUI uh, and almost had the uh, case dismissed, but I wasn't able to get the case dismissed. But yeah, that was a, a situation that took me down a path, went to anger management for a year, went to NA, Narcotics Anonymous, went to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and then I went through a journey of seven year sobriety, right, or six year sobriety. Um, But the most important part of that was the intrinsic, like, internal battle, right? Recognizing that the the alcohol, the drugs, the selling of the drugs, like the party scenes, needing the affirmation was really just a reflection of what I was missing inside. There was a hurt. There was a brokenness that I had not settled. And I used coping mechanisms at the time that helped me through that, right? Self-medicated and self-dosed as a... uh, most wild entrepreneurs are right. They have something going on internal. Like there's something heavy inside of us as entrepreneurs that's like yearning that fights that we like. It's a heaviness that maybe other people don't have to experience or be plagued with, but also benefited with, right? Like yeah. it's kind of like a like, double-edged sword. Um, so that took me through a large internal internal battle, and that uh, was a long stint of sobriety. So that kind of started shaping me in a way. What age? What age
1: were you when you started sobriety? And you said six. Twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah. A good year to so start. right when
0: I, yeah, right when everybody was getting into partying, I'd been partying since I was like 14, 17, right. So like my my. The year
1: fourteen, seventeen.
0: Yeah. No, I was like fourteen when I first smoked weed and when I first started drinking and Just a cigarettes. Party and then 17 is when it got really heavy. Like, I was considered, like, a street pharmacist, right? I had my truck panels fell apart everywhere. I could fill it up with drugs. Um, I did runs to pick up uh, heavy amounts of narcotics. This is all, fa- like, I'm going to be as, as authentic I love as I can it. here. I yeah. love it. man. Like this <laughs> is my past. This is my history, right, who I am and what I am. Yeah. So um, they I was able to evade, like, I got very lucky for a very long time. Very lucky for a very long time and um you don't i think if i was born into a different system i might have been a an entrepreneur from an early age or known like financial literacy or understood but those are not things that you have in a household that's first to america understanding and figuring it out and when you're left in the, the the driver's seat of you need to figure this out because there's no money to pull from then you start to figure out things right like i used to uh I used to go to raves and I would buy glow sticks and finger lights and pacifiers for six dollars a dozen, um, and I would sell them for twenty bucks a pop. So I would walk to EDC, I'd fill up my backpack, and I would walk selling twenty dollar pacifiers for fifty cent pacifiers. Like the 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 margins were absurd. Good margins, yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah, very very, margins. very, very nice margins. You're we putting
1: though. in the the physical labor work too at a festival right a
0: hundred percent so i'm going up and down other p- kids are partying and i'm like 22 at the time and everyone else is raging and out of control and i stopped selling drugs so i was like how do i do a, a sober way of hustle and i would i worked at olive garden i would pay my manager uh 200 every time i would go because uh, we couldn't get weekends off so i would pay him cash and everybody would have a fit with me like they even took it up to the director of the region they're like hey reef gets Saturday's off, what's going on? I was like, hey, religious reasons, right? I made up whatever I had to do. Not like, not like Seventh Day Adventist, you know? Like, I can't those days. <laughs> whatever I had to do to go hustle, right? Um, and I would pay the manager cash and he would let me take the weekends off and I'd go work. But on those weekends, I'd net 3000 to 8000 right? So I'd like make a bunch of fucking money. So it was, to me, 200 was a nominal fee to pay somebody. At one point, I had to... Uh, get a security person or a friend to sit at the truck with like a box to put money into and I had to wear soccer socks because my pockets would fill up with ones and fives and twenties so heavily that I would have to start stuffing my soccer socks all the way up. So I'd go into a a porta potty uh, because it was closer than the parking, right? I'd uh, take the money out of my pockets, put it in my soccer socks and then continue walking around uh, and the reason I did that was because walking to the truck and back uh, took away 15 to 25 minutes, right, mm. uh, on the walk there and back. Um, so it made more sense for me to try to uh, maximize my productivity and my output by just, like, it was everybody in line would grab them, right? Because inside they were 30 to $40, and I was selling them for half the price. Um, so that, yeah, I did that for a while. Um, but with that, like, in at the at households from Uruguay, you don't talk about financials. You know, the conversations of, wait, well, this stock is doing this. Or like, I've sat at other tables with other families where they're talking about financials and they're talking about their business and they're talking about deals. That right? was
1: never at our conversations. You neither. If, if we had a family dinner, never in any conversation. Really, really? Oh, I can't, I don't think once.
0: What did your parents do?
1: Da- my dad is a farmer, right? My grandpa's a farmer. No way. My uncle's a farmer. My dad's a farmer. I'm the oldest son. I had the option, and kind of hinted at like to you know like <laughs> you kind of have a place after high school, right Yeah. and um yeah, decided down to mom um in education, so she's been a paraed for a long time, and she just loves people, loves to help, loves to give so. I can see that. It didn't come up naturally, right? Yeah. When I see the crypto opportunities happening over the past, whatever, three to six months, and obviously way, be, way prior, right? Yeah. We, you know, friends that were telling us in college, invest in this. I know you don't have to believe it, but like, I promise one day it's gonna make sense. Yeah. And now it's today. And trying to convince my dad to get into some of these, <laughs> any kind of investment, crypto, that's far fetched, right? Oh, He's yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. the hell? I don't wanna throw my money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, very old school. <laughs> he raised me very similarly. To probably how he was raised on the farm. And so yeah. it was discipline. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm happy yeah, that.
0: You are a very disciplined man, dude. The way you get up in the air, like, it's amazing to watch it.
1: The, the truth is behind discipline and why... There's a lot of reasons why I like to wake up early. And yeah. living in San Diego, yeah. we're the farthest south in Southern California, okay. right? Like if I didn't geographically know where San Diego was located when I first moved out here. <laughs> we got in the car, packed it 22 hours later, and... Were like within an hour and I'm mind blown I'm like the f-? we took the wrong turn you know we're literally a hundred feet from the border going yeah. horizontally with it <laughs> and coming from Iowa you only hear what happens down by the border yeah. like on the news and then what my dad's feeding me right information's yeah. like oh you don't want to be down there Take one wrong turn, Connor, they'll shoot your car up. Yeah, yeah. And so in my mind, obviously, I know this shit's not going to happen. I'm still on the U.S. side of the border. Yeah. And, um, but you see
0: our list. Like,
1: So like, I'm like, we took a wrong turn. I think yeah. I'm an hour out. And yeah. long story short, that is just to give you context. We are in the farthest southwest corner of the country, right? We are right, touching yeah. Mexico for the most part. We can, you know, we can hop in your car and be in Mexico in 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, don't um, now, yeah. That I, I forget why we were going. We're talking to about
0: financial c- literacy and like talking about that at a table with the family.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, long story short, yeah. did not come up in conversation. If so, yeah. it was probably at friends' homes or yeah. some of my aunts and uncles that Dude, that, that might have been more common. I
0: can't believe you just drove out here without even knowing what we were saying. It yeah, I mean, it
1: gets- you had an idea. So I, I had <laughs> been here in junior high. So a truth that I haven't told is that I was a huge, and I still am, but I'm a huge science geek growing up. I was in chess club
0: (laughs) when chess wasn't cool. cool. Let's play chess. Well, I mean, it was
1: to me. I don't even know if I read like a a Goosebumps chapter book in first grade that was like, I think you should join. Uh, And then in (laughs) junior high, really fortunate to have uh, a certain teacher that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I was only getting in trouble K through 12, right? Not just like little trouble, right? Like what most people hear are like, oh yeah, I got in trouble too, right? No, I'm talking at least one in school or one out of school suspension every single year. Whoa. From you I can legitimately trace it back to kindergarten. And that's the wild part. And if you don't think so, kindergarten, I can remember the names, but I'm not gonna put them there. And I remember who I was with and how we planned a pretty smart little move that ended up hurting ended up hurting someone. When you're in kindergarten, do you think that's ever happened before? I mean, I don't know if they call it an out-of-school suspension, but they're like, come pick your kid up. Like and, and so my dad's um punishment. Yeah was sit on a table like this. This was in the middle of our kitchen, right? Yeah. It was like, whatever, this size. And from yeah. when he picked me up at 9 a.m. or 9.30, right? I wasn't even in school that long. We had this planned. And <laughs> he picks me up, and he is just so pissed. I think this, I mean, kindergarten, first time actually getting in this kind of trouble. So he's like, eh, maybe maybe he doesn't take after me. Maybe it's just this one-off. And my punishment was to keep my forehead on the on the table my forehead (laughs) could not come up from the table and he kept me there for so long so I don't know if that was the I don't know how long he kept me there in kindergarten right and it was a good punishment right um I've always had ADHD so I'd figure out different ways (laughs) to have fun right oh when we start talking about archetypes of entrepreneurs and substance abuse and and just having addictive personality traits I see that I see it's more and more evident even though on the face (laughs) value side of like you can look up to someone you're like oh they have it all together yeah realistically they're going through a lot of shit too if you can operate at a certain level there's other areas that probably aren't as stable that those people are thinking about they're trying not to usually
0: Couldn't agree with you more. That's like a, yeah, when you're like, when you get to a certain echelon, there's a certain level of layers of your cake, right? That like, it, I, I consider people's lives like a layer of a cake and every layer, some are bitter, some are sweet, so on and so forth, right? But those layers are what translate and make like your reality, right? Like the the flavor of your life. Um, and I, I consider like mine, for example, and I, like others, like and I'm hearing your story now, I used to get in trouble all the time. I was never a good kid in school. Like my life was... Hectic in school. So very similar, right? ADHD. I got put in like ESL. Um uh, what are the special classes called? Uh ESL is English second language and the other one is like like special classes Yeah, that's like, what they were
1: always called in my school. Yeah, you're like you're in you special can, classes.
0: You can't
1: take the dance.
0: In the right time, you know, and you're like, okay, like as long as I get an extra hour, cool. And I would just like dick off, like I would just go in there and have a blast, right? I first off, it took me like 30 minutes to get there, <laughs> so I would just like through the hallways. And then when I got there, I'd be like oh, fine, I'll take the test now. You know, we're like a proctor, we get you and, and pull you in. But I was an absolute mess. Like I, I passed high school in, uh, just by literally talking to the teachers and talking my way through a program that was like a special program, right? It was like, a, it was called, fuck, I'm so sorry, Miss Bishop and Miss Bay. <laughs> when you guys hear this, fuck. Um, they had a special medical academy that they were trying to get off the ground that was like block scheduling. Thank you, brother. And the block scheduling, yeah, bring one of those pop bars. Dude, I don't give a fuck. That's,
1: uh... <laughs> and the, uh...
0: <laughs> great throw. You can move the, the microphone closer to... you. Is this good? Perfect. Oh yeah. Uh, we make it and oh good. But then you remember just cut this? Oh uh, yeah. Just
1: cut. Oh cool. Alright. Like a like a little break here like this. Oh, because then you can see it on the audio. Yeah. We'll just do claps. No, it's not. he will no, cut that. Good, yeah. Ready? Do you remember right where you were in the story? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, just get closer. Like move the whole thing. Yeah, like that. Alright. Oh. We gotta re-clap.
0: Yeah. Oh cool. I did it alone. No. no, it's all good. All right, yeah. So the uh, Miss Spay and uh, Miss Bishop, I apologize, uh, but it was essentially like uh, a special academy that they were trying to block scheduling and get this off the ground. And as a medical academy, to go uh, like a, uh, getting a fast track to medical schools, right? Well, I saw the opportunity, and I was like, boom! I'm going into this thing. They wanted it to work so much, so they needed good test scores, so they needed to have good students in it. Well, I would weigh down the numbers, and I knew that, so I game the system. So I knew from the get go, I was like, oh you guys are trying so hard because you need this to win cool didn't do any work didn't do any school work like didn't turn any homework in um but i would take great i was testing i was very good at i could just test really well like it's just common sense kind of almost you know like uh or you could look at something or or i wasn't that way so for anyone
1: else hopefully there's other people like that i always looked at people like you and i was like how how oh, the business partner, Chris, right mm-hmm. in college, also, yeah. I would study for, <laughs> you know, I'd, uh, well, I'll just give an example. But it's like, I study eight hours for this big midterm or a final, right? He wouldn't study, still go in with a better score. Yeah. Like it just things come very easy to him like that. I, I felt like I always had to work a lot harder to do it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, realistically, my focus hasn't been there. So that's something I know I can work on, but I'm right. again, why i'm disciplined and routine to some degree I, I look up at people that are way more disciplined right so do i yeah. but it's to cope with other areas of my life right Correct. so that's what i'm starting to realize in successful people they have awesome routines but a lot of time i mean for the simple fact that a routine that works for you right yeah maybe it's waking up at 4 15 a.m every morning yeah. and then going yeah. straight to the gym right i could test that out and <laughs> maybe it doesn't make me feel the best (laughs) like you know what I mean maybe 9 a.m hits and I'm like shit I'm ready for a nap normally this would be one and I could take a quick nap yeah Uh, you know (laughs) so um anyway I I don't want to go too far off but I I do want to um to to switch it here I know this is out of right field who's been the biggest role model in your life right like you talk about growing Mm -hmm. up in South America your dad stealing paintings which is First off, I just think Ocean's Eleven is such a sweet movie. Like, I think of yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, And then coming to the States through Mexico, having a coyote mm-hmm. and explaining the process. Holy shit. Yeah. And making it here with no money. Sure, yeah. And then working your ass off. And your mother sounds like an angel. She's a beast. Yes, a beast, a beast that, be. that kept the family together and yeah, worked like her ass off, right? Yeah. And I'm sure your dad did, too. Now, who has been, whether it's parents, role models, yeah. your neighbor... Who has been the biggest role model in your life? And what was the hardest advice they ever gave you?
0: That's a great question. Can I start by saying that I think you're, you're still a farmer, but I think that you're a farmer in a different way, and I think you seed great possibilities in other people? Because I think that you are a farmer. You just plant other other plants and people. Like you plant in me someone that wants to wake up early, someone that wants to be disciplined. I see your energy or the way that you've gone through an internal like journey, and I that that inspires me so you plant different types of seeds like I just want to like edificate you in that because I I view you and I see, wow, Connor, Like, what an example of a male figure. What an example of a sapien. Like, phenomenal, right? Like, Levels, tries that, to man. be more level. Tries to be more emotionally intelligent. Uh, does everything in his power. Uses his brain as as a tool to be able to figure out how his brain functions. It's absolutely beautiful, magnificent. The more people, If more people operated in that kind of a framework, we'd have a much better society. So I appreciate you. Now you plant appreciate different you. types of seeds. So I, think I appreciate you're still a barber, you. And right?
1: that's why this podcast came around, right? People had asked for a long time, This is all about having open conversations. Every conversation is going to look vastly different. But through these conversations and going vulnerable and maybe going into sales, but maybe just talking about life, I think it can provide a lot of value, right? Through storytelling.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think to what you said earlier, like the the brokenness in people, like sales, like to... Success is a different metric for all people, right? And I think sales in, in, in today's economy has changed drastically, right? So sales, what it used to be before, of like the, the go-getter, like the madman type mentality to like the uh, Wolf on Wall Street, right? To like the 2000s when they started doing digital, like they would give you a bunch of data and hope that you would answer the best because they gave you a bunch of data, found out that people were overwhelmed by too much data yep. and they hated it and they needed like a one to two uh, two to three different selections just to choose because the sapient brain wants to be told what to do by the right person, right? Uh, then now to what's a consumer economy where we can jump on Google and find the answer before the car dealership guy knows, right? You walk on the lawn and you're like, is this four by four? He's like, I don't know, Bob. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, and you're like, yeah, but it says right here on the Carfax report that it's four by four. Ha! I started last week, you know, <laughs> like the truth is he's been there for two years and still has no fucking idea what he's doing. Like, it's just like that, the economy has changed, right. It's yeah. in such a way that now we're like catering to people and really yeah. like helping them guide them to what is their true best solution. And in that, like in that openness is like where true success is, right. Cause you care about the other person I love uh, that. and you're making a better reality. Um, but i think your question uh sorry to get off ADHD we both have it hey i'm glad right. you
1: brought it back full circle yeah
0: thanks man. yeah hey, you are to close that off right oh little no little i love it i love it you brought it full <laughs> a circle put a bow on that um, biggest role model one of the biggest role, uh, role models yeah yes. one of the biggest role models i'd say um i i i think that i i think that uh to say that there's a singular role model That's all is I'm asking for a this. fallacy, right? I, so, I know. Yeah. I know we can
1: take it to the fallacy route. It, it, I'm just saying just one. Who comes to mind? Like that gut um, instinct right off the bat.
0: For different, uh, fuck, there's different seasons though. Who overall,
1: personal, professional, like overall has probably. uh,
0: Yeah, personal, professional. Good, right? I I think there's like uh, seasons of life and you have different role models for each season. I would say for a personal, um, someone that I looked up to heavily was my uncle, like an absolute uh, scholar of a man, right? He raised me as a child. He was there for me right, like he helped me, when my dad left he stepped in, right, until my aunt like had a tiff with my mom and then she like divided the family a bit because my you know, Spanish, is very, Spanish culture is very proud, right, so they're like, mm, 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 like a lot of posturing in a stupid way like a bunch of roosters puffing up their chest fucking fighting over a, a grain when there's like a, a silo behind them, it's fucking ridiculous, um, so yeah my uncle had to step away but for the most part my uncle really showed me what a man is like, right he broke his back working at Sparklets um, no, no degree, right in, in Uruguay, he created a, a company cleaning restaurants at night um, where uh, most of my family didn't do anything. He, he saw that my mom or my grandma suffered, so he started cleaning restaurants after hours. So when 10 o'clock closed, he'd go in and clean a bunch of restaurants and started getting so many people that he had hire people. And he says one of the, one of the stories that I love that he told me was the day that I took uh, our grandma, right, his mom, uh, to the grocery store and said, buy whatever you want. And we ate actual meat and ate well for one of the first times in our, like, family, like, nine children sitting down was a moment for him that he still holds to this day. That one wow. instance, right? So that's the kind of man that he is. Came here and, and worked at Sparklets. They broke his back at Sparklets, like, literally, like, carrying the jugs. The man labor, manual labor was just too much, and they they would break your back, and then afterwards they'd put you on disability, and you were done, right? Yeah. So it was a very heavy... Um, a very heavy life that he's lived, but he did it for us, for all of us to be better, and he did it for his family, and he put the family first, and he put his body in the way like if you're talking about a person that takes a bullet for you he put his body before us, he put his body through torture he got up every day, he worked in the rain he worked in in hot sun, he just did, right, and that discipline to me was like something I've always looked at and, and admired, and the family man that he is he's a great family man, so he's a true replica my father's the example of what a male shouldn't be so thank you for that, right? That's a gift, I have to take the positives from everything. So thank you for giving me that knowledge. And my uncle is, a, is an example of the type of man you should strive to be, right? So those are the two father figures that I've really lived in, in my reality at a young age. Uh, another very influential person, Larry Blair, who's Ian's dad. Uh, Ian's dad shifted how I view the world in a lot of ways, right? Um, who's Ian Egan? Ian is the CEO of BuildFire, like one of my brothers. I love him to death. Austin and and Ian are like the absolute family to me. Larry Blair, I look up to and admire for his story, where he comes from. He comes from uh, Northern New York, has nothing, right? Very similar to my grandma's lifestyle, like one home, like uh, very run down, has created an incredible uh, reality for him and his family. Uh, so him I look up to now in my current state of like a man that I want to be like, right? Centered, well, calm, like well-mannered, well-nurtured, raised amazing children. Like it's just a, a, a continual learning brain that continues very similar to Bill Gates. Love the guy. Um, I'd say another, like, now that's on the business. That kind of is like a segue into the business side, right? Uncle is is,
1: personal, I feel like. Uncle is personal. Uncle is personal, and then Yeah, and then
0: Larry Larry is like that in between personal and business that segued me into business, and I would say that uh, um, Alvaro Garcia early on was a huge influence for me, and he does about $4.2 million a month, one of the largest franchisees in the U.S. He was the first guy. I got fired from Jersey Mike's twice for doing, creating that campaign uh, that I shouldn't have, like fundraising, and I just couldn't get along well with like the directors. The directors couldn't deal with me, and Alvaro was like, why can't nobody deal with you, right? And then finally was like, work directly under me, because he saw something in me, right? He's the one that really showed me that I am an entrepreneur, and I have a mind that other people don't, right? He told me the values of like uh, work at the wage that you want to work at, not the wage that you're working at, right? People expect like to get paid 10 You wanna say that again? Yeah, work at the wage that uh, you want to be paid at, not at the wage that you are at. I think Love the that. conception for a lot of people is I'm getting paid $10 an hour well I'm going to work I'm going to work harder when I get $15 an hour nobody rewards you for just being a mediocre sack of yeah. shit right no one cares about you like give value right and he also instilled in me if you want to be in if you want to get paid more think like an owner be an owner from the get go I wasn't very liked in Jersey Mike's when I worked there right because everyone was like oh he's a goody two shoes like I wasn't a goody two shoes I just had a very high level for myself I was like I want to be the fucking best like yeah. I want to be better than all the rest right and that's what allowed me to meet Peter K like, the the CEO and founder, like, really get to understand and know, like, uh, the highest players, right? Talk to mayors, like, principalities, like, it was beautiful. Like, I was very, very fortunate, but Alvaro